be the first MLS team to win this. Let's go, Seattle! We about to make history. Live and underway here on ESPN Plus alongside Hercules Gomez. I am Sebastian Salazar. Huge week here on the show. Herc, I got to say, my week of vacation, I missed the show desperately. You, not so much. But the show, ah. Take a break, guy. You're on vacation. Keep the phone away. It's unbelievable how you can't stay away even for a moment, even for a second. I know you miss me. I do. I do miss you. I miss the show. You and Mauricio did a great job. In my absence, we got a lot to get to, boy, uh, in this show today. We got CONCACAF Champions League final, as you just saw Marshawn Lynch getting us pumped for that. We got a Christian Pulisic 90th minute game winner. Speaking of Americans tearing it up abroad, we got Katarina Macario, who continues to be on fire for Lyon. We got a full weekend recap, MLS, Liga Mekis, NWSL, plus our road to Qatar, Herc, continues a sit-down interview with Christian Roldan. But let's start with some more injury news, unfortunately, for the U.S. men's national team. This concerning Serginho Dest. Now, he was injured in Barcelona's 1-0 loss to Rayo Vallecano on Sunday. Actually, Barcelona's third straight home defeat. Dest started the match, but he was subbed off at the half. He was also, and there you can see it, a little bit involved in Rayo's first and only goal of the match. Barcelona reporting it's a right hamstring injury. He is expected to miss four to six weeks, effectively the rest of the La Liga campaign. Herc, this has people talking, a lot of people worrying about Serginho Dest's future with Barcelona. Do you think we've seen the last of the young American in a Barcelona shirt? No, no, I don't. And mm. I, I honestly, no, 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 because Barcelona's not going to magically get this money that they can use. Uh, the finances at Barcelona are where they're just going to start buying players. Uh, and also, by the way, Serginho Dest happens to be a player when he's healthy, plays. He plays over Danny Alves. He plays over Minguesa. Is a player who Xavi, uh, when he came in, maybe didn't believe in so much. But as he's been there, as our own Moises Llorens of uh, ESPN Deportes has mentioned, it's a player who he's value, who he thinks can get better. The thing is, he's not been healthy. And in this mm. not being healthy, coming back, you can see even in that play, he looks slow. The player has a good... Three, four steps where he comes even and then blast past Serginho Dest. He doesn't look like he's quite there yet to me, but this is a player that people love to hate on. He seems to be <laughs> this symbol for all things bad with Barcelona. And we said it before, it was Ronald Koeman. He's going to be one, labeled one of Koeman's guys. Well, now, Xavi, this, does he like him? Does he not? Listen, unless somebody comes in with 20 plus million dollars, mm. which I don't think somebody's going to come in right now for this version of Serginho Dest, he's not going anywhere. If it is the last images that we see of Dest in a Barcelona short, it's it's awfully unfortunate because he, he does get beat on that play, and it's kind of the, the knock on Serginho Dest, right? He is, a, he is a defender, but he's an attacking defender, and sometimes he can fall asleep on those defensive responsibilities. You would hate for that to be kind of the, the last taste that you get of Serginho Dest. To your point, though, the rhetoric has not always matched up with the reality for Dest at Barcelona, right? Remember when Xavi first came in, we were told, like, Xavi has no use for this guy. Xavi's right. ready to move him on. He wants to sell him in, in January. Forget about waiting till the summer. He was ready to Winter sell him in January, window. supposedly, according to the reports. 
But as you say, what actually happened? Well, when Sergio Dest got healthy, he played and he played over a lot of people. Forget the Barcelona perspective of this, whether they want to move on from him or not. What about for Dest? Would it be better for Dest to move somewhere else where there wasn't a doubt that he'd be in the starting lineup for pretty much every game? One of the, one of the links that I saw is a place I, I personally would love to see. Hell, send the whole U.S. men's national team to, to Leeds under Jesse Marsh. That was the latest link I saw for Dest. You've got to go somewhere where you're going to fit in, where you're going to play, where you can be good. But could you imagine Sergio Dest somewhere like the Premier League, the physicality, the speed of play, uh, not being tactically disciplined to how he can get beat by faster players? This player right there against Rayo Vallecano, it seems to me like he's not there. You can say he fell asleep. He still had about three yards on the player. This is a player who didn't feel comfortable with his body there. And you saw him come out at halftime. Many would say he came out because he wasn't playing well. He came out because Xavi's not happy with him. Now you come to find out he came out because he's not physically well. He's going to be out for a while. When he's healthy, he's played over Danny Alves. Danny Alves, who mm. everybody told us was going to come in at his age and play over Serginho Des. He's played over uh, uh, anybody else who they put in that back line. He seems to be, for all purposes, the only player right there who he trusts as a right back when he's healthy. You can say what you want, but healthy he plays. Mm. And this Barcelona doesn't have the finances to just go buying players like that. I just remember when he made the move to Barcelona, there were a lot of people, probably us included, that questioned whether he was ready for that jump. I think now we still have to say that the jury there is still out. Maybe he'll get another year to prove that he is a Barcelona-level player, uh, but maybe he Seb, won't. Let's move on. Seb, Xavi yeah, may need another year to prove he's a Barcelona coach. So it, it goes hand-in-hand oh. hand with this Barcelona. <laughs> wow, wow. They, they dropped just a little bit off of, off of a fifth gear, and Hercules is a ready win to, percentage. to throw him. Okay, you want to go down the Ronald Koeman road? Great. Let's, let's talk Ronald Koeman here on Football Americas. Makes all the sense in the world. Let's transition to Christian Pulisic, another player at a major club for the U.S. men's national team. Had himself a pretty good weekend. Well, I guess it just depends how you slice good weekend. He didn't start the game against West Ham. He came on in the 75th minute. But, Herc, he made the most of the quarter hour that he was given. He gets the game winner here in the 90th minute. Classic Pulisic. It's a good run. It's a great finish. It's by no means an easy finish. He's on the left foot. He comes in. He does what Christian Pulisic does. How many times have we said he is struggling? He's not playing. He's not starting. He's not coming in. Is this the end with him? Thomas Tuchel doesn't value him, etc., etc. And what does he do? He keeps proving everybody wrong. Right place, right time. Sure. But the movement is there. The finish is even better. And it's a game winner. Absolutely. A huge goal for Christian Pulisic. It's his first for Chelsea since way back in March, March 16th, actually, in the Champions League against Lille. Here's more from Captain America post-match. How hard was it to watch from the bench? Yeah, of course. I mean, I always want to be on the pitch helping my team, uh, so I'm glad I got the opportunity today. And, uh, yeah, played a good match and finally uh, got the deserved result in the end. What did Thomas say that he wanted for you when he went on? Uh, just to make a difference, uh, combine and uh, try to cre create opportunities. I feel like you had a point to prove today to come off the bench, get the opportunity. Yeah, I think so. I think I needed to come in and, and make a difference and prove that I want to be, I want to be playing, and I'm happy I could, I could hopefully do that. All right, Herc. So here's a look at some statistics for Christian Pulisic. Interesting. About a third of his minutes this season have come off the bench. There you also see he's already topped his goal contributions from last year. We still got some games to play. A lot of those minutes off the bench, Herc, recently uh, have been coming for Christian Pulisic. For more on that and the explanation behind it, let's listen into the Chelsea manager, Thomas Tuchel. 
he had this period when he was on the run, when he had the confidence, when he was heavily involved uh, up front and Timo had to wait for many, many weeks. Now things turned around a little bit from, from the Southampton game and uh, Puli struggled a little bit since he came back from, from national break where he had, I think, like three matches and an incredible amount of, of journeys and time zones uh, to, to cope with. From there he struggled a bit energy-wise. That was my, my, my impression. Uh, on and off the pitch. All right, Herc. Is Thomas Tuchel blaming Christian Pulisic's international duty for his recent slip in playing time? And if so, is it time for the German manager to get lost? It's been time to get lost, Seb. Are you serious? Uh, are you trying to tell me a 23-year-old can't recover in time? He's got jet mm. lag, but... Diego Silva, who's 38 years old, who does 11-plus-hour flights to Brazil and wherever he's got to go play in South America, can? He's all right. No, this is Thomas Tuchel doing what Thomas Tuchel does. If you're an offensive player, only two of them have really shown that they can be in the trust circle of Thomas Tuchel. And that's Mason Mount and that's Kai Havertz. Everybody else, Ziyech, get on out of here. Lukaku, get on out of here. Timo Werner, get on out of here. Oh, Hudson Adoy, are you even around? Christian Pulisic, you're out as well. This is what he does. He makes these players feel uneasy. He makes them wait. And Christian Pulisic has been through this before. Not just here. He's been through it at Dortmund with them. This is par for the course for Thomas Tuchel. If you're telling me this is the reason, come on, man. This is a cop-out. Yeah. You didn't like what you saw. Just say it. I don't like what I saw. It has nothing to do with international duty. I don't trust him in this moment. There are others ahead of him. Whatever you want. But don't blame the transatlantic flights and jet lag. Yeah, if... If the issue here is, did the international window cost Christian Pulisic his starting job? I think the answer has to absolutely be yes. We just have to look at the stats for that. The seven games before the international window, uh, he started, sorry, in the seven games before the international window, out of the eight, sorry, let me get this right. Eight games before the international window, he started five. The seven games since, he started just one. So clearly the international window was, was the difference there. I guess my question is, Herc, is it fair? I was always under the understanding that there was kind of an an unspoken rule, right? You go off on international duty. If you're a starter, you don't necessarily lose your job for leaving on international duty. But then I was talking to Shaka Hislop on ESPN FC today, and he's like, nah, that's not really how it works. So uh, maybe, maybe we can't fault Tuchel for that. What I would say here, though, is I am worried about Christian Pulisic because you see a player score a goal and you think, oh, All right, that means he's going to get more starting minutes. But we know Tuchel doesn't see it like that, right? He sees the comfort of what happened and the confirmation of what happened. I put this guy in in the 90th minute like I always used to do, and he delivered like a super sub. I don't necessarily think that that goal is going to help Christian Pulisic get any more starts. So Christian Pulisic starts in the Champions League. He plays two games against Lille. Uh, He scores in both games. And Thomas Tuchel, excuse me, doesn't see that performance and go, you know what, maybe I should start him more. But now because he sees him score off the bench, you're telling me he's going to stick with that and say, I got to sub him more. He's going to be my Mm -hmm. super sub. That's his go-ahead. That's his train of thought there. I'm not buying it. This is Thomas Tuchel. This is what he does. He did it with Lukaku. He's doing it with Lukaku. How do you spend that much money on a player, over a $100 million transfer fee on a player, and let him go to waste like that? You don't think it's going to do it with Mm -hmm. Christian Pulisic? I mean, Timo Werner 
when he came over from Leipzig, did the same thing. Ziyech, when he comes over from the Eredivisie, he does this with players. This has nothing mm. to do with Christian Pulisic, everything to do with Thomas Tuchel. You look at Christian Pulisic's numbers, goals and assists per minutes played, I guarantee you it's up there with the best in the Premier League. I guarantee you, per 90 minutes played, it's up there. This is Thomas Tuchel and him doing what Thomas Tuchel does. You mentioned guys like Lukaku. You mentioned guys like Werner. I feel like those were way more form things. I don't know that you can necessarily, as clearly anyway, point to Christian Pulisic's form here. Let's run it back. USMNT abroad style. We'll start with Brendan Aronson. Back from a knee injury and back on the score sheet. His fourth goal of the season for RB Salzburg. It came from the penalty spot, but still good to see him back, Herc. It's great to see him back. <laughs> fourth goal of the season. I know it's a penalty, but that's if my count is correct, that's 12 goals, 10 assists, club and country in all competitions this year. Good little season for him. Yep, and it came in a 5-0 win over this? Austria Vienna, which means a ninth straight Austrian Bundesliga title for RB Salzburg. Here we see the celebrations. Looks like that knee is okay. <laughs> the knee is a nine! Nine! Tell them no! <laughs> What's going on here? Is that the beer? They don't want to drench him with they want to drench him with beer. Jordan Pifok Bray, stop me if you've heard this before, in a 3-1 win over Servet on the weekend in the Swiss Super League. He now has 21 league goals this season, Herc. That is insane. I think it's like 26 in all comps. Mm -hmm. Please do not count this man out. I know many are pointing to that miss in El Azteca. It's insane at 26 years old to count him out. Hopefully there's bigger and better, a bigger transfer, a better team, and he'll get a second shot with the national team. This was a big win for young boys, by the way. Right now they're clinging to the last Champions League spot out of the Swiss League. They sit in third place. Jordan Pifak still hot. 21 goals in league play, 26, correct, five in the Champions League across all competitions. Speaking of hot, Haji Wright scores his fourth in his fourth straight game for Antalya Sport. 11 goals now on the season. This is a banger with the left foot. No chance for the goalkeeper. 24 years old, he's 6'3", he shows crazy intangibles. All right, so how are the American goal scorers looking? Pick three out of a hat. Uh, there you see their recent production. Pfock in 2022 already, 10 goals uh, and two assists. What about Haji Wright though? He is as of yet still uncapped. Herc, for you, has he done enough to earn a call up? Absolutely. We want goals, right? This is what you want out of your national team forward, at any forward. You can do all the little things correctly. You could be a good player uh, in between the boxes. You could give an honest shift defensively, tactically very disciplined, tactically very Q, uh, good with a high IQ offensively. But at the end of the day, if you're a nine, it's the goals. And Haji Wright is finding his form in the best possible moment. It's a World Cup year. He's 24 years of age. He's 6'3". Crazy mm. intangibles. Can he be cleaner with his feet? Yes. Is he the best in his hold-up play? No. But you look at his finishes, one-time finishes. You look at the speed. You look at the hunger. I want to score goals. That's a second straight season with double-digit goals. He did it in the Danish Super League last year. Mm -hmm. He's doing it now in the Turkish League. This is a player that has shown a penchant for scoring goals. Greg Berhalter has said it's about form in this position. It is a World Cup year. I repeat. World Cup year, and he's scoring goals. Absolutely, he merits a call-up. Yeah, he scored everywhere. You mentioned Denmark. He scored for uh, Schalke's reserves when he was there. He was a superstar for the U-17 national team. Uh, boatloads of goals for them. Whether he deserves a call-up or not, I feel like that's an easy answer because anybody deserves a call-up in, in this day and age under Greg Berhalter. Used, what, almost 40 players in the qualifying cycle? Forget 
That's probably something more like 50 or 60 in terms of guys that he's debuted or used throughout his entire time, but almost 40 just in the qualifying cycle. Then you add on top of it the position of need that this is, and you, you were very focused on the fact that he's six foot three, which I think is brilliant. You, you love to have a nice target. He's also versatile. He can play through the middle. He has a little bit of, like, winger in his game. So he's got some I think speed. it's obvious. I think it's obvious that he's going to get a call-up between now and the World Cup. Real quick, give me, a, give me a percentage chance that he turns into the next Hercules Gomez and makes this World Cup squad come November. <laughs> uh, that's not a very quick answer. Uh, I would tell you, in my eyes, it should be a 30% chance. Uh, because that's about how it would happen with me. I had zero World Cup qualifying minutes, zero camps, and I made that flight. But so did a few other guys, and that's the thing. It's very eerily similar to my situation and the nine situation in 2010 World Cup to this situation now, so I'll give him a 30% chance. Wow. 30% is actually like, pretty good for a guy who has yet to have a senior national team cap uh, in a yeah. World Cup year. There you have it. Hercules Gomez loves the late-charging striker. Uh, for Qatar in Haji Right. Let's transition to the Copa del Rey. Big final played over the weekend. Real Betis against Valencia. Real Betis, uh, not in their home stadium, but in their home city of Seville. They take an early lead. Hector Bellerin, the Borja Iglesias. You could have finished that, Herc. <laughs> I, well, not today, not these days. The knee's not going <laughs> to uh, get me up there. But yeah, it's a ridiculous finish. A good little goal right there. No Guardado or Diego Lainez in the starting lineup for Betis. Valencia would equalize on the half-hour mark. Beautiful pass from Elish Moriba to Hugo Luro. He chips the goalie, uh, and we were level at one. Yeah, I don't want to repeat what Gab Marcotti said about his name, but golazo. Andres Guardado on is a sub, 3-3 in the penalties, and he converts. Where was that in Nations League? Oh, come on. Speaking of, oh, come on. Yunus Musa, 4-4. He steps up and... Skies it. Oh, the run-up. The run-up is, is where you get me right there. Mm. So Juan Miranda, who grew up as a Betis fan, he was in the stadium the last time they won the Copa del Rey way back in 2005 as a kid. And here he puts the finishing touches on as Real Betis wins in penalties over Valencia. So Diego Linas uh, and Andres Guardado join this uh, pretty, uh, pretty long list, I guess we could say, uh, of Mexican players that have won the Copa del Rey, and it's gotten the bigger picture conversation on Andres Guardado's career going, uh, Hercules, around Mexican soccer circles. Where does he fall for you? Is he inside or outside of the top five of all-time Mexican greats? Oh, no, he's inside. He's mm. inside. Yeah, if we're doing a top five, my man Andres Guardado, the Principito, is in the inside. How would you like to go? Do you just want me to tell you exactly where he lands, or do you want me to do a countdown? What do you want? Well, I feel, like, I feel like the first three are obvious. You could argue, argue about the order, but right. it's, it's Rafa Marquez, Hugo Sanchez, and Chicharito. Then, then it gets interesting. So where does he fall after those three? Is he four? Is he five? It's funny because you would assume his top three is very automatic, and I agree Chicharito's number three. Uh, Andres Guardado is just after Chicharito at number four. You're talking about mm. a player with a 15-year career in the Viejo Continente in Europe. Okay, multiple trophies, multiple leagues, uh, different positions, and he's also going to be a Penta World Cup player. That's five World Cups for El Principito. That is insane. Something only few players in the history of world football can actually say they've done. And he's also 
During the World Cup, he has a chance to be the all-time leader in appearances for the Mexican national team. Mm. When this man's career is said and done, you will look back and say it was a legendary career for any footballer around the world. He will be a legendary Mexican football player. He's number four on my list. And then mm. I got Cuauhtémoc at fifth. Yeah, I mean, that's the argument point, right? It's like maybe you could put Cuauhtémoc ahead of him. Look, there, there are a lot of guys that deserve maybe consideration for top five. You want to throw a goalie in there, Jorge Campos, uh, Claudio Suarez. What about our, our colleague, Jared Borghetti? But I don't think any of those guys... Because, look, this is really a subjective debate, but if you want to take that away and you just go off a of paper, it has to be Andres Guardado, right? You mentioned it the no, 15 no, years in Europe. No, no, it's not subjective. My word is law. Mi, mi oh, palabra uh, yes, is yes, law. Yes, I, so, so, I know. You're, yes. Yes, your opinion uh, is definitely not subjective here um, on Football Americas. But, no, I think that the, if he makes it to the five World Cups, we're kind of assuming that. Right. Uh, and he does have the 15 years in Europe. And, and look, he's, he's hung banners. He gets the Copa del Rey here. He won a league title with PSV. He won a second division title with Deportivo La Coruña. So uh, where he's gone, usually hardware has followed. Uh, and I think you've got to point out that there just haven't been that many Mexican players that have had that type of career in Europe. Uh, definitely not that type How many of longevity. How many players? Uh, what about the other side of the penalty shootout here? We saw Andres Guardado make his pen. We saw Yunus Musa miss his pen. Now, we were talking about this on ESPN FC after the match. Frank LaBeouf, former World Cup winner, our colleague, was on the show. Uh, and he was actually blaming the Valencia manager, Jose Bordalas, for, for letting Yunus Musa take this. He says he's a sub, he's young, he shouldn't have been the guy in that spot. What do you think? Debatable, right? Because you want players who are confident. And if he's confident heading up into the spot, that's all you can ask for out of a player. I don't think age matters here. It was eerily similar to the Italy versus England Euro final where three English players actually missed, mm. and they happened to be the youngest players. Uh, it was Rashford, Sancho, Saka. It happened to be the youngest players who missed, and there was a huge debate about why were they the players shooting, uh, experience versus uh, youth, and should they have been? The reality is the players who miss penalty kicks are the ones who have the stones to actually go up there and mm. take it. So I don't blame him. This is, you can miss, you can make it, it doesn't matter. It's all about confidence going up. He seemed confident. He didn't make it. This will be a learning and growing experience for him. So you don't worry it'll affect him moving forward? No, I, I think it's actually better for him forward. I mean, it's going to harden you mentally. When you go through something like this, the next time you're up there, you'll know maybe I don't get cute with it. Maybe my run-up isn't a certain way. Maybe I smash it through. Maybe I'm a little bit more sure of it. But he's, he's only going to get better for it. Let's run it back some more. Elsewhere in CONCACAF, boy, we had a lot of hardware to hand out over the weekend. Alfonso Davies hurt, playing the full 90 minutes as Bayern Munich beat Borussia Dortmund 3-1 in that Klassiker and clinched their 10th straight Bundesliga title. Ten straight? Well, that's boring. Is that good? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> hey, you know what is crazy, though? Fonzie's, Fonzie's 21 years of age. This is his fourth Bundesliga title. Wow. Yeah, he's probably going to rack up a few more. When, when David Alaba left Bayern Munich, he had ten Bundesliga titles to his credit. So, Well, uh, I, I guess I think, cool. I think Alfonso Davies could be in for a, a similar career. More Canada love. Tejan Buchanan scoring the game winner in his first goal with Club Bruges. First goal with Club Bruges. Let me just say, I love the set of the little round robin they do in this uh, Belgium playoff system. It's the first game of four. Huge step for Club Bruges and Tejan Buchanan. The first is always nice. You always remember mm. your first. Absolutely. Tejan Buchanan, loving life in Europe. You know who's missing him, though? The New, the New England Revolution. They're missing a lot of people. Matt yeah, Turner, too. Chucky Lozano with an assist, his sixth of the season. Unfortunately, it came in a 3-2 loss 
to Empoli, one that really hurts Napoli. Yeah, hopefully he plays more. It's only 17 games that he started this year. It is the third assist in the last four games and perfect timing World Cup year. Wolves apparently are interested in Lozano. It's a big time Ooh. move. Napoli need the money. We, we shall see. Are you telling me we can see Lozano and Raul Jimenez in the Premier League? Go on. Hey, uh, speaking of leagues, Nations League update. Mexico gonna play Suriname. Guess where, Herc? Oh, tell me more. Torreon, June 11th. You gonna be there? I, I hopefully will be there. Torreon in June? Oh, never mind. Hold on. I have to rethink <laughs> that one. <laughs> and of course, uh, one of two games for Mexico in the Nations League. The other one on June 14th. That one will be away in Jamaica. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. CONCACAF Champions League final first leg this week. Seattle repping MLS, boom us. Representing Liga MX, how did the two teams arrive? Well, Seattle was up 3-1 over the weekend against San Jose, but things went off the boils quick. Cristian Espinosa made it 3-2. Then a minute later, Jackson Ewell, uh-oh. San Jose, yes, the Matias Almeida Les San Jose tying it up in two minutes to make it 3-3. Oh, but the problems for Seattle were far, I mean far from done. That's because in stoppage time, Cristian Espinosa steps up Finishes off his hat trick, and how about that? Seattle falls 4-3, to three, their second straight defeat, Herc, in MLS play. And not against the good teams either, huh? against San Jose and Miami. You worried Seattle's losing a little bit of momentum ahead of this final? What momentum? They're 11th place in the Western Conference. <laughs> They've only won two games in league play. There seems to be a distinct version of the Seattle Sounders in league play and another very, very good version of them in CONCACAF Champions League. Now, you saw there the collapse, 4-3. Uh, they lost it late. There were a few uh, blown calls by the referees, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. We don't need to get into that. Let me tell you about the Seattle Sounders version in CONCACAF mm -hmm. Champions League and why I'm not worried about that. The Seattle Sounders in CONCACAF Champions League play have outscored opponents 13 to 3. A very stingy defensive team, a very good team going forward. They seem to be a different team, a more focused team when it comes to the CONCACAF Champions League. Their league play, their league form has not translated to the CONCACAF Champions League play. And we said this last round will affect them. No, it didn't. I say this now, this round, I don't think it'll affect them either. If they win or lose, it will have nothing to do with what's going on in Major League Soccer play. I don't know if they're losing momentum, because you're right, they haven't been particularly great in MLS play. They seem to be losing concentration. After the match, Brian Smetcher uh, talked about complacency. Christian Roldan talked about focus. That's not stuff you usually hear coming uh, out of Seattle. It was pretty much a first-choice team against San Jose. Maybe Yamar, the, the lone exception. They did have some subs late, so maybe you look at that and you say, okay, that's, that's the 4-3. Uh, how about this for a stat nugget? That is the first time ever. First time ever in MLS since 2009 when they entered the league. 
that Seattle has lost a game where they held a two Ooh. goals or more lead. History that we witnessed over the weekend. Over 100 games, I believe. It was like 130-something games, and it was the first time ever. Uh, say what you want about the refereeing. Say what you want about the blown calls. San Jose took advantage of their moments. That's now the second team that was struggling. That's now beating the Sounders. Uh, Inter-Miami was the first, I guess, struggling because now they're on a four-game winning streak. Uh, but, yeah, maybe it wasn't just uh, Matias Almeida there, or maybe it just was Matias Almeida there for San Jose. But I don't translate this to the Seattle Sounders. Other half of the CONCACAF Champions League final, of course, Pumas. They were in action over the weekend as well. Fell in Liga Mekis action 3-1 against Chivas. That's not really the big story around Pumas, though. It's the fact that Juan Dineno, their top scorer in this competition at least, is a serious, serious doubt for leg one. Herc, what do you think? Can Pumas beat Seattle in the first leg at home without the services of Juan Dineno? I, I don't know how. Juan Dineno has seven goals in the CONCACAF Champions League. The second highest tally for Pumas in the CONCACAF Champions League is one. Four players tied with one. Ortiz, uh, Arturo Ortiz, their center back, who suspended for this game, is one of those players. Bofo Salcedo, who's been often injured in this uh, tournament, is also one of those players. It seems like a team that very much depends on Juan Dineno and what he can do. Alan Mosso, who's second in assists behind Christian Roldan. Christian Roldan, five. Alan Mosso, four. His favorite target happens to be Juan Dineno. This is a player that factors in the majority of their offensive play, not only in league, the little that he has in league, but in this tournament. We talk about two different versions of teams. Well, there's two different versions of players, and Juan Dineno is a man possessed in this tournament. So that's going to be a big loss. Yeah, and they got Mekis. He hasn't uh, had the same output. Rogerio, their, their leading scorer with six uh, in league play. But you do have to ask questions. If it's not Dineno, certainly in Champions League, uh, where are any of these goals going to come for from Pumas? I'd be really worried if I was Pumas here. I do agree with you that they, they cannot win anywhere against Seattle without Juan Dineno. I don't think they're going to do it at home. And if they don't win at home, I think then it is over, right? I think if you if you lose the first leg at home and you got to go back to Seattle, even if you get Dineno back, cool. That's a tall, that's going to be a tall mountain to climb, isn't it? Yeah, but we've seen Major League Soccer in this position before, where you get a yeah, favorable result. Yeah, but it's different. It's when they're going back to Mexico's second leg. Listen, where you get a favorable result in Mexico, and you've taken it back to the second leg in MLS play, whether you're in the States or Canada, and they've blown it. Okay, there's going to be close to 60,000 fans in Seoul. 60,000 fans. Okay, Juan Dineno is a very good player. He seems to be the only player with offensive production in this tournament. But how many times have we counted Pumas out? How many times have we said, no chance, and not only do they punch above their weight, they knock out the opposition. Andres Lilini has this about him. Pumas has this, we'd rather be an underdog than anything else type of mentality. And I'm telling you, I'm not counting out Pumas. As much yep. as Seattle Sounders are favorites, overwhelming favorites, on paper, to get a result, and I'm not talking about winning. I'm talking about to get a result in this first leg and then take it back and finish off in the second leg. Take nothing for granted with this Puma side. All right. Do not count Pumas out, says Seattle TV's very own <laughs> Hercules Gomez. More MLS news. Jassi Zardes has been traded from the Columbus crew to your former beloved Colorado Rapids. What do the crew get in exchange? Just a cool $1.4 million in general allocation money. As the uh, DP moves west. Herc, is this good news or bad news for Zardes and his World Cup hopes? 
This is great news. This is the only version of news that you want to hear for you going to the World Cup. You can't go to the World Cup if you're not playing. You can't realistically say, take me, if you're not seeing the field. Now, there are many, many moves in Major League Soccer where you could say, this is a move up. A San Jose to a Seattle. A, a team like, if you want, like that, or you go into Atlanta. A bigger and better. There are bigger and better versions in Major League Soccer, but the rest of them, that. the majority of them, hold on, are lateral. Would you agree with that? The majority yeah, are I, lateral. But lateral if you're playing, or, or south. But no. If you're playing in a Colorado that's very similar to a Columbus, okay, because at least you're playing and it's a team under Robin Frazier that has done better, that's going to set you up for opportunities. They're going to set you up for goals. And if you're scoring goals and you have a relationship with Greg Berhalter because Greg Berhalter has shown us that he trusts you, that he values you, you can be on that flight to Qatar. This is the only possible outcome for you to get to Qatar is to play. So this is great news for him. It's hard to argue with that idea, right? That if you play, you will score, you will have the chance to impress the coach. But if we look at it as like from his stock, that perspective, I think this is a clear sign that Giassi Zardes' stock is trending down. It's trending in the wrong direction. You don't want to have your stock trending in the wrong direction in a World Cup year. Columbus, whatever you want to think of them, they are not Colorado. You're going from one MLS organization that has won titles in recent history that is good. You're going down a notch to the Colorado Rapids. You might play more. I don't know that you're going to find more success because I don't know that I think the Colorado Rapids are all that good or really all that much better than Columbus Crew. The other part of this is that while everybody else, while Jesse Zardes' trajectory is going down, everybody else's trajectory is going up. We got all these young guys playing who are going to get more and more minutes in the next months in Europe. And while their trajectory is going up in a World Cup year, Giassi Zardes is going down. So, hey, it, it might not hurt his World Cup chances, but I don't think this is a good sign for where Giassi Zardes is right now in, this, in his career. He was being frozen out by the Columbus crew over what a contract situation. What does that tell you about what he is as a player? Over exactly. a contract situation, Seb. Over money. He was being frozen out over money, not because he wasn't productive, not because he wasn't good for him, over Miguel money. Miguel Berry put him on the bench. Say Miguel it, Miguel Barry, Barry, good friend of the program, put the, him on the bench. Good friend of who? Are they going to make him a DP? Do not compare the two. They froze him out because of money. It's that plain and simple. All right. Uh, Giassi Zardes, secondary agent, Hercules Gomez. Weighing in there. More MLS on our screens this weekend. We got Nashville against Philly. This one Sunday, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Should be a good one on that on ESPN, ESPN Deportes, and streaming live on the ESPN app. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Let's go to Liga MX. America 2-0. Winners over Tigres over the weekend. Their sixth straight win. The opener from Diego Valdez coming to life. Hurt. Yeah, maybe that one's a Nahuel. I know it's a lot of a lot You think of force. so? Yeah, I think so. That's his near post. I know he hits it hard, but come on. Wow. 
of all people who would criticize Nahuel. I, I didn't think you would criticize him there. Here, Nahuel unlucky, Henry Martin very lucky. Yeah, but I tell you what, if not for Nahuel Guzman, this is a 3-0 game. Uh, it, it yeah, was honestly, he was Tigres' best player, for yeah. sure. Yeah. All right, so this is where you see the pro-Chivas bias of our production team. This is America's celebrations after a six-straight win that momentarily had them in the top four. They're now fifth in the table. Herc, is it too much? Why, why is it pro-Chivas? They're celebrating because they just beat the best team in Mexico. Why, why is it pro-Chivas? Explain this to me. Because the, the Chivas production team here hates America so much that they want to put that video up and say, why is America celebrating a win? This win, when they should be celebrating titles. That's why. This America who That's was why. dead in the water, last place, and then Fernando Ortiz takes this team. Tano Ortiz takes this team, and they're in the top five. They just beat the best team in Mexico, a team that many, including this guy, picked to win the championship. Mm -hmm. and, and people are questioning why they're celebrating? This is great. This is great for team morale. This is what you want out of your team. You want them celebrating and enjoying the moment. Listen, I sat there and I would beat the most bum of teams in Major League Soccer with the Seattle Sounders and we would sing jingle bells, okay, <laughs> away, wherever we were, as loud as we, could, as loud as we could so they can hear us because you value every time you win a game. And if you beat a team like Tigres, you better damn well celebrate it and you better damn well enjoy it. Pro Chivas TV, Anti America, whatever you want. All right, uh, what about Chivas? Uh, the other side of the Clásico Nacional. 3-1 winners over Pumas, as we mentioned over the weekend. Their third straight victory with Ricardo Cadena, the uh, interim man in charge. This uh, was a lot of the Alexis Vega show this game, Herc. Oh, it's been like that all season. It's been the uh, few bright spots for Chivas. A Chivas who's very much a different team right now with Cadena. Look at this. I mean, you could say what you want about Mosos defending there, but Mink Mink and then Ana Platter, there you go. Big win for Chivas as they climb to seventh in the Liga MX table. That means they are three points back of the top four. Remember, the uh, top four in Liga MX avoid the play and match. América, on the other hand, they're fifth, uh, one point back of the top four. So, Herc, from outside the repechaje to now competing for one of those guaranteed spots in the quarterfinals, uh, who between Chivas and América do you think is more likely to finish? in the top four as we take a look at their uh, respective run-ins on the way in. I will take America. Uh, and it's very simple. Uh, apart from the very impressive uh, seven undefeated, six wins, 14 goals for, one against that they've collected in that time since it's Tano Ortiz's show. Cadena's very good record of three wins, two of those against uh, Cruz Azul and Pumas, massive as well. But look at who America will face in that final game, the decisive game. It's a Cruz Azul who comes in hobbling, a Cruz Azul with no Corona, with no Charlie Rodriguez, a Cruz Azul that's still uh, very much with a lot of questions being asked of them, and a America team who's playing their best football at the end of the season. How many times have we seen a team coming in hot to Liguilla, coming in hot to the playoffs, and you're like, that's a scary team. I don't want to play him. And on the other hand, Chivas is going to play against Necaxa. I know they did well against Pumas and Cruz Azul, but they're playing against Necaxa. Jimmy Lozano's Necaxa, that's 5-2 and two since he took over. That's outscored opponents, by the way, 12-5. to five. Okay, That's on a three-game winning streak. I just think if you're talking about difficulty of schedule plus moment, I will take America. Mm. 
Still, though, Chivas' uh, turnaround, quite impressive uh, as well. Which, which turnaround impresses you the most? Which surprises you the most? I gotta say, I never, ever, ever, ever thought, ever thought that America would save themselves and make anything of this season. And I would have never imagined that we would be having a top four conversation. To me, it's almost shocking what America has done since Solari's departure. Ah, it's more shocking to me that we're talking about top four for Chivas, even heading into this season, because if you think about where America came from, America last- America was last. Hold on. America last year had 73 points in a calendar year. It's a Liga Mekis record. America this year, even when they were in last place, they were still about, what, four points out of repechaje. So the calendar were very much in their favor. The points very much in their favor. This Chivas team, Michele Año leaves, and they've gotten better ridiculously better. Cadena actually plays with the nine. Alexis Vega is more dangerous. This is a team that actually defends in a proper manner. This is a Chivas team that now isn't taking these crazy chances. They aren't losing points like they were in a crazy amount of games throughout the season. They're also a more disciplined uh, team, more disciplined Chivas. We're not seeing red cards handed pretty much every other game for Chivas. They're a much better team for Cadena. They're a better footballing team, and to see them in the possibility of a top four finish is more surprising to me. So, America right now sits in fifth, Chivas sit in seventh, smash there in between the two of them is Cruz Azul, who have now dropped to sixth place in the Mexican table uh, after their defeat 1-0 at home against Atletico San Luis over the weekend. That is one win now in the last six games for Cruz Azul. Juan Reynoso, the manager, under all sorts of pressure. Uh, and this game was ugly, but the scenes afterwards in and around the Azteca Herc, even worse. Terrible. Pathetic. Embarrassing. Um, where do you want to take this with these scenes? I mean, the, the fighting in and around the stadium outside by the fans amongst themselves with rivals is just straight up embarrassing. The use of the homophobic chants in the game and a means to weaponize it to show that you're unhappy with your team. This is just pathetic. It's one of the worst things ever. And also, first and foremost, this, the fights and the homophobic chant. But the... Lack of conscience, the, the, the lack of memory of these fans for Cruz Azul booing and asking for, car, uh, for Juan Reynoso's uh, job when they don't remember. The, the last player okay, to lift a trophy was Juan Reynoso. He comes back as a coach 24 miserable years later where you're one of the biggest laughingstocks in Liga Mekis, where you're a meme. All these different things going around 24 years later and lift the trophy as a coach to repay, to repay all that and booing him and asking for his head that way is embarrassing. They don't realize what is going on right now in Cruz Azul. Uh, Corona has been injured. Charlie Rodriguez has been injured. Escobar has been injured. This is no longer the championship team. Out have gone Players like Cabecita Rodriguez, players like Yotun, players like Luis Romo, players like Orbelín Pineda. And not even one full year has gone by from the time they put up a championship banner. And this is how they behave. This is how they act. It's an embarrassment. Is, is Cruz Azul like, okay, so is it, is it that Cruz Azul is bad and Juan Reynoso is struggling as a manager? Because you've always said that on this show. You're saying like the Cruz Azul fans have to respect what he did. It's been 20 some years, yada, yada, yada. But I always come back to you with the same argument, which is uh, at what point does that run out? So do you actually think that Reynoso can turn this thing around, whether it's this season or the next? Or are you just saying, hey, you got to respect the win until he wants to leave? No, not until in Mexico, he wants that's to not leave. How th not until really? he wants to leave. No, no, not oh, okay, until okay, he wants okay. to leave. Seb, there's a distinct 
very distinct situation of we are in problems, we are in dire need, and another one of we beat our last opponent and we're in a top four finish. Huge distinction. And that's what Cruz Azul is right now. It's an ungrateful bunch of fans. Mm. They win their next game, top four finish. Doesn't matter that they have all these injuries. Doesn't, and none of that won't matter. Top four finish. It's embarrassing and it's crazy to me for, for them to think like, well, carte blanche, we just won a title, so let's go back to being a huge club, you know? One game left in the season. Let's take a look at uh, what the table looks like as we head to the last week of the campaign. There you see it. So we got the uh, the top four there, Pachuca, Tigres, Puebla, and Atlas. They will, top four teams, whoever they are, will be in the quarterfinals. And as you know, five through 12 go into the repechaje, uh, or as we say it in English, the play-in to see who will be the, uh, the last eight teams there. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, let's check in on the women's game, Hurt. Katarina Macario with two goals as the on-beat PSG in the first leg of the Women's Champions League semifinals on Sunday. She continues to put the ball on the back of the net. This is insane. She's 20, excuse me, 22 years of age, 27 goals, 6 assists, and 38 appearances for Lyon. That is crazy output at that age. These her uh, sixth and seventh goals of the Champions League campaign so far this season for Macario. This was the first leg. The second leg uh, will be on April 30th. Here's what Macario had to say after the match. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people could have also received the player of the match, so I feel like it's a little bit, um, like, undeserving, you know? Like, I don't know, I feel like and many of my teammates could have gone it also, so um, I'm, like, very grateful, but, you know, um, I'm just happy to have gotten the win. But, um, yeah, thankfully I was able to do my part today and score two goals, and we were able to win the ball out of a kickoff. Um, Ada played me a wonderful ball, and, you know, I just knew that I just had to do my job and remain calm and um, put the ball in the goal. And then the second one, it was a little bit, like, quite lucky, to be honest, you know. Um, but I'll take it. A goal is a goal. So, yes. yeah. Again, like, we have 90 minutes to go still. And, of course, it would be a dream to go to the final. But we still have a lot of work to do. Like, we're not qualified by any means. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're just really hoping to go to Turin. Macario scoring, Alex Morgan scoring over the weekend as well. So big choices coming for Vlatko Andonovsky. NWSL Challenge Cup, Angel City FC, Herc. Your team gets their first ever win, one nothing over the Portland Thorns. Take that, first ever, it's the first of many. Hopefully it starts with the first. Have you gotten your gear yet from Julie? Because I have not. I've not, it's strange. You know, we live fairly close to each other. We're in the same, at least same city, same county. So, yeah, I'm still expecting I'm saying, <laughs> San Diego Wave Football Club, if you want your representation here on Football Americas, you have a free agent who is just waiting for any gear. <laughs> oh, we got sad. the uh, semifinal set for the NWC Challenge Cup. That's going to be May 4th. 
Next Wednesday, it's going to be O.L. Reign against the Washington Spirit in the first of a doubleheader, and then Kansas City Current against the North Carolina Courage final on May 7th. All right, Herc, time now to continue our road to Qatar. Up next, a former teammate of yours, Christian Roldan. So we know for sure, for fact, that he has some great stories. Let's see if our Sam Borden was able to get any of them out of Christian Roldan. Here's their chat from earlier this year. Guadero, clever underneath it, Valdez. And the shot has gone in! There it is for Seattle! Roldan, lifting, hammers in! Well, I'm a first generation um, Hispanic. Uh, my mom is from El Salvador, my dad is from Guatemala. Um, grew up idolizing uh, my older brother, wanted to play soccer alongside him. Um, too bad he was four years older, so there was always a, a, a pretty big age gap there. Um, but I think that overall helped me. Was there ever a point along the way where you thought, you know what, I'm not going to, soccer is not going to be the thing that I end up doing. Like, at what point did you feel like, okay, I know for sure this is where I'm going? Well, yeah, I think there was a lot of doubt in my mind that I would ever um, reach the professional stage, the professional ranks. Um, you know, it was difficult for me, um, you know, even finding a, a college, a university that, that wanted me. So, um, but being a, a first generation, my parents not understanding uh, how the the soccer world works here um, you know, didn't didn't help, but eventually it all worked out, and uh, I'm, I'm extremely thankful it did. So you even had doubts, despite the fact that, from what I'm what I've read, you were famous at age nine for you know making it into this uh, Adidas commercial. What was the story behind that? Yeah, so I when I was nine, I I featured in a in an Adidas commercial. Um, they actually came out to our tournament um, that week and basically told all the parents, hey, come try out for this tournament. So I did, um, crying. I did not want to go. My parents dragged me out there and again, thankful for them. What did you do to get into the commercial? Well, I juggled, um, you know, a soccer ball in front of a camera. Uh, 110 kids were um, trying out for this and because of my age, uh, because my my good looks, um, uh, I joke around with my brother about that, but uh, it was definitely not because of my looks. Um, but the, my ability to juggle the ball uh, certainly helped, but it added a lot of pressure to me um, because I featured in this commercial so, er so early in my in my life and all my friends were saying, you have to make it now, you have to, you, you know, you're a star. The pressure that comes with that, I guess I hadn't thought about that being a real thing, but I would imagine that once your friends start saying that as a kid, you know, it's hard not to internalize that a little bit. Yeah, certainly, um, you know, and we have that same type of pressure here, you know, and, and so it's something that I've been dealing with for a long time, which has uh, prepared me for uh, the where I'm at currently in life. You had a choice about what country to represent. 
How did you go about dealing with that decision and what was that process like for you? It was difficult. Um, I think being patient was, was, um, was something that I needed. And for me, honestly, uh, I've always had my heart, you know, set on, on the U.S. Uh, growing up, watching Clint Dempsey and Landon, it made me want to play for the national team. And, you know, obviously what being a first-generation um, Hispanic here, um, the U.S. provided so much for my family. So another way for me to, you know, uh, be thankful and, and give back hopefully to to the country that has given our family so much when you were making that decision you didn't put your hand on your heart during the anthem was that a how did that come to be a thing that you did and then what did it feel like to actually to do that finally when you were captived to america yeah i think it was out of respect um i didn't want el salvador guatemala or the u.s um to really you know read between the lines and you know maybe make assumptions about where my, you know, uh, national team alliance was. But in the end, um, you know, it was out of superstition as well. Um, you know, I, I didn't want to um, hurt my chances of getting called in with the U.S. If, if I did put my hand over my heart. So um, in the end, I'm doing it every game now, and uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing for sure. How do you feel like you fit in? I mean, both from where you are in your career, but also just, I mean, there are a lot of really talented players trying to find your way into making an impact in this group. Yeah, I think my role is a, is a little di- a little different. Um, you know, it's, it's bringing that um, experience uh, and, and also that um, even keel uh, just vibe to the team. Um, you know, helping out the the boys, and then you know, on game days, uh, being that extra set of eyes for coaches. I think they believe in 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 me because I I know the system fairly well. Um, that that they can ask me what I see um, and and be a, a, an extra set of eyes during during the run of play. I mean, obviously, that's intrigued you enough that you're interested in pursuing coaching when your playing is done. How did you come to decide that was something you wanted to do and how are you going about doing it? Yeah, well, careers are short and long at the same time. Um, you know, they can end really fast uh, or they could uh, uh, last a really long time in terms of not getting hurt and stuff. So um, I wanted to be prepared um, just in case anything happens. And uh, it's it's always been a passion of mine to, to uh, train and coach um, and help the team you know in in any way I can and we're so valuable in the sense that we have such great experiences uh, so why not share it with uh, the younger generation. You know this group this national team group uh, so much is made about its youth and obviously there are a lot of young players relatively speaking you're like an old guy what is it like to be among a group now where so many of the players that people are talking about are so young? I think it speaks volumes to the you know the national team you know speaks volumes that these guys are are leading the charge um that they're gaining experience really fast um and there will be speed bumps along the way but uh we'll see um 
you know our, our team come together in the near future we'll see we'll see these guys with experience and and you know being tested day in and day out uh and and that's that's going to be you know a scary team to play against really are there noticeable differences for somebody like you who was part of national teams like you said i mean in 17 18 19 where there were still a lot of veteran guys around guys that were later in their career versus now like do you does it feel different i guess to be in a camp just what guys are talking about or what they're into or what they're doing like this do you notice it before it uh players on the teams had multiple kids on their team or, or mo- multiple kids in their family and now we're seeing literally kids in in camp so it's very different video games are, are a big thing uh you know tiktok instagram you know all these guys are really interested in all that that's funny right so like you're walking down the hall in the hotel five years ago you're just as likely to accidentally interrupt you know like somebody on the facetime with their yeah. kids and now more likely like maybe they're doing like looking at tiktok yes, or something exactly that and that's the beauty of it. I think um, you know they'll grow up and mature, and um, it's all it's all fun and games, and um, you know they'll, they'll become uh, fathers, hopefully uh, later in life. But um, but it's it's a, a a fun experience being around this group for sure. All right, Herc, speaking of Christian Roldan and the Seattle Sounders, why don't we talk some more CONCACAF Champions League? Of course, we've got the first leg coming up Wednesday in Mexico City between these two teams. You've been red hot on your picks of late. I think this is a parlay edition of yeah. Book It, Herc. So what have you chosen for us? If you want to make a little bit of cash, I found a bet, a little profit, a little parlay that pays plus 1,200. Okay. If the Seattle Sounders win in Seoul and it's under one and a half goals scored, that's pretty much a 1-0 scoreline. Let me tell you a little something about the Seattle Sounders when they play in this tournament. Okay, Only three goals against. Mm. One goal against at home, two away. Okay, This is a team that in three away games has managed a less than a goal away against. And they're going to play against a team that some would say on paper is toothless with no Juan Dineno. They're still a very good team, but certainly the majority of their offensive production mm. runs through one player. Seven goals, no Juan Dineno. He's a big doubt. Everything I'm hearing, that calf won't be there in time. They're not going to risk him. They're still fighting the Repechaje Liguilla in Liga MX. They're going to hold off on him there, I feel. So this is a big opportunity for these Seattle Sounders and a 1-0 win at plus 1,200. How enticing is that? That's a lot of pay. Yeah, that's a that's a very good value bet. Um, I'm not surprised that our Sounders TV correspondent has picked Seattle mm. to win in Mexico. I'm a little bit surprised, although I think I agree with you that, that this is going to be a very conservative first leg. You're going with yeah. the under one and a half. Uh, that's very, very low. So I think that's that also factors into the payout for you. My parlay is going to be a, a little bit different, but somewhat along the same lines. No, no way. It's not even close to the payout. I'm taking the draw. And the under at 2.5, two and a half. I'm not as confident that it's going to be a, a total, total slugfest like you are. It pays out at plus 320. So, the, you know, Herc, I have certain rules. First leg of a final, you always bet the draw. And if you can parlay it and you can tag it with something else, you will always take the under. So uh, I do think it's going to be a very different first leg from maybe if we compared it to the semifinal between Seattle and New York. That first leg was like crazy wide open. You think this one is going to be like way more closed, right? 
Well, the first leg for Leon, Seattle is crazy wide open as well. Mm, mm. And every single game that Pumas has played, their first legs have been wide open as well. Uh, the over hit in every single one of those games. But this version of Pumas, this version of Seattle playing on the road, I do think the Seattle Sounders will be very, very stingy defensively. That's will frustrate Pumas. And I do think they're going to get a goal in transition, if not on a set piece. I don't. It's a good value pick at plus 1,200. I do think this is gonna be a very stingy game for both sides. Mm. Uh, but if you want to throw out a flyer at plus 1,200, I think it's a lot of value. Okay, there you have it. Our parlay picks for the CONCACAF Champions League first leg, which of course uh, gets underway Wednesday night. One more thing before we get out of here. Parting shot, Inter-Miami 2-1 winners over Atlanta on Sunday, but uh, that's not what everybody's talking about. No, they're talking about the post-match huddle on the field led by Phil Neville. Herc, where have we seen this before? Oh, these American coaches and their silly, <laughs> silly little things they like to do. Uh, these Americans. Go America, am I right? Uh, Phil Neville, this is strange. Didn't we just see Jesse Marsh do the same thing to get Chris? I'd get killed by the British press. I mm -hmm. will tell you this. Phil Neville is a smart man. Phil Neville came on this program when we interviewed him and he talked about how the Manchester United players and how the British press press, excuse me, should be ashamed of themselves for how they treated um, Chris Armas. And here he is doing something that he knows very well, damn well, that Jesse Marsh is doing at Leeds and is getting criticized for. He's a very smart man and I applaud him for it. Into Miami, don't look now, they've won four straight across all competitions. And speaking of Jesse Marsh and Leeds, they got a nil-nil draw That's against right. Crystal Palace today. Five straight unbeaten for Leeds under Jesse Marsh right now. What is it? Five points safe from the drop zone for Leeds, Jesse Marsh. All right, that'll do it for us here on this edition of Football Americas. We will be back on Thursday. Full reaction to the first leg of the CONCACAF Champions League between out, Seattle baby. Sounders and Pumas. And, of course, once you're done watching us, head over to the website, download the podcast, and listen. He's Herc. I'm Sebi. We'll see you on Thursday.